We are the tribe from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating all rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. For the Vandals of Idaho. Welcome back, Tribe from the North Brave and Bold, to the official, unofficial podcast of your Idaho Vandals and your Vandal affiliate on the Big Sky Podcast Network. I am your host, Chris Hammond, for a little Sunday special episode. It's obviously, we had some news break um, over the last couple of days. Joining me, we have the professor from Office Hours, Brian Marceau. How are you, Brian? I'm doing great. Uh, there's a little Easter egg in the background. Again, in case anyone notices, I'm joined by the king as well. But yeah, dude, season's over. We got a lot of exciting stuff to talk about. Um, I, it's a good day to be a vandal, guys. And the best of all time, Alex the Boat Boatman. How are you, Alex? Horns down. There it is. Horns <laughs> down. Horns down. I know Rico, Rico's actually a Texas fan. I'm spoiling on who's on the show. Um, but my Mountaineers took care of business yesterday. Still bowl eligible. And then Texas is bowl eligibility. So may make, may tough make trip to Lawrence. Tough trip to Lawrence on Saturday. That's all I'm worried about. Kansas hey, is no you guys, pushover. You guys might have made a certain co-defensive coordinator possibly available. Who knows? Maybe. Um, yeah, we'll see. Run, running the shows from the shadows. Producer Dammer, who just – Shadowed himself. That was wild. Uh, and then obviously being joined, Austin Rico joining us today. How are you, Austin? I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk some Daniel football. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, obviously the news, Paul Petrino has been let go early of his contract uh, as the Idaho Vandal heads basketball or head basketball coach, head football coach, um, Brian Marceau. Did a lot, if not most, if not all of the legwork for the story. So, Brian, I'm going to kind of concede the floor to you to kind of go over this as much as you want in the terms of breaking the story. And then we'll all kind of give our reactions and maybe a peek into the future. Yeah, we'll, we'll just be quick, too. The, the interesting part of this is the story, not the fact that we were involved. But for us, this was a big deal. Dallas was absolutely involved in helping break the story. Uh, us two being involved in surprise none of our listeners. Uh, but also, just want to make it clear. Part of why we were able to do this is because listeners support us and listeners trust us. That is absolutely how we got our foot in the door in the first place. Our sources had are, remained anonymous because we had absolutely no choice. So they're going to continue to remain anonymous. And anytime they're referenced, the answer is uh, not confirmed, not denied. Anonymous means anonymous. But I got to tell you, for the last few days, I've been married to my phone uh, because all of this, like doing actual journalistic kind of stuff, which is not what we usually do here, is time sensitive. Absolutely a lot of late phone calls, some with Dallas, some with other journalists. Colton Clark did a ton of advising uh, for us to help make sure we knew that we were doing this right. And we have complete confidence that we did this the right way. Um, when we got confirmation we're ready to run, that day was stressful as hell. Uh, getting in contact with the athletic department. Um also, we're, we all hold full-time jobs, so this was just a ton of work. But I got to say, it was real exciting to be the people who built the news. In my interactions online, both through Tubbs' account and my own account, ton of people were really supportive. A lot of people, particularly Big Sky Podcast Network and local journalists, 
told us, hey, great job. We're really, really happy for you guys. I'm happy, I'm happy that part's over, but I got to tell you, hey, for Tubbs, this was a big deal. So uh, for all the listeners who support us since day one, thank you for all the people who trusted us, both as a show and as a source. Thank you guys as well. We're going to keep doing things the right way. And I think that's about as much as talking about the story itself that we need to go in, Chris, because the what's important is what actually happened. Yeah, that was wild. Uh, for the insight for everybody, some of the people got to see me in Moscow. I was driving up for the Coug basketball game, uh, and Vandal game, and there's road slides on 55, whatever. So I had to go through forest roads through the middle of nowhere. So when I was in the middle of nowhere, we had not ran the story. Uh, and then I got into cell service. My phone blew up. Um, so that was a wild, wild drive for me for sure. But yeah, like I said, you know, Brian did a lot of leg work here and, you know, congratulations. I mean, Dallas did a ton of work too. Yeah, true. Um, yeah. It was like just the last thing, and we'll move on to the actual story. We'll quit filibustering Austin. So Austin, thank, <laughs> thanks for being here. So we can, <laughs> thanks for being here, Austin. So we can we can like lecture you on the thing that is probably like least interesting for you. We can do it anytime. But uh, no, Dallas did a lot of leg work too. Um, this was certainly uh, this was certainly not a one person sh- effort. My name was on the article because I, I mean I did write it, but it was a lot of it was a, it was a team process. Me and Dallas being the big big people who were directly involved. We're pretty proud of what we did. We know we did things the right way. And that's how we got the scoop. That's how we got the story. All right. So let's move on to it. I believe producer Dammer sent me an awesome order here. Yep. There we go. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we will do a little bit of a audible, I think, on it. Because I think Boatman's right here. A lot of stuff has come out about, you know, Coach Petrino um, wins his last game. But like Rico... I know a lot of the people that probably were the most upset about this are current and former players and the, the athletic staff. Um, having you on, obviously we always have boatmen, but you know, you can kind of uh, give an insight that most of our listeners aren't former players. So they don't have the insight that like a, you or a boatman would have. So kind of what would you like to let the listeners know about, um, you know, coach Petrino? Uh, I mean, I, I think he gets a bad rap. I, I mean, I know we all see the animated side of him, especially on the sidelines. Um, and that's a big turnoff for a lot of people. Can't fault people for that. You know, you're not going to change people's opinions. Um, but, I mean, inside those walls, like inside the Kibbe Dome, man, that guy just wanted to win. And, I mean, I put out a tweet. I don't know. Maybe some people saw it regarding, you know, just just be thankful. I mean, you can be happy he's gone, but there's no need to sit there and dance on the man's, you know, grave here at Idaho. Like, what good does it do? You get all these different talking heads. And I see all the different things uh, that people post. And there's just – there's so much that's just not true that you just can't understand from outside uh, outside the Kibbe Dome. And, yeah, you can say you go in to watch the game. But as far as that, that team goes, uh, I mean, that guy wanted what's best for the team. And, man, did he want to win. Maybe he didn't get as many wins as we all would have liked. Uh, we did get that bowl in, which was huge. But, shoot, I, I had to go back and check because Idaho has not been a, you know – dominant football program the last 20 years sadly we all want it to be and this is how low the marker is i went and looked how many four win seasons we've had since 2000 four of them were before petrino petrino was responsible for three so to sit there and say oh you know we we didn't get this there just hasn't been a ton there like it's a tough spot tough spot to really come in i mean we're on the palouse we got wcu right next door um and then you throw everything else out there he stayed with us throughout the drop when uh, his brother 
Bobby was hired on at Louisville. Could have went and been an offensive coordinator there, been compensated nicely, you know, gone. And obviously they had success there. They had Lamar, all these guys. But I mean, man, he he literally came and told us, like, I'm I'm not going anywhere. I want to win here. We're gonna get it done here. And sure enough, we did. Um, did we sustain that after the bowl game? Sadly not. Did we drop down? Yeah, stuck with us then. But um ultimately, I mean, that's just the big thing is. Uh, we we can rattle off all these different things, you know, that you want to say against uh, Coach P, and I will sit there and go back and forth with you guys all day long with it. Um, but ultimately, man, I know a lot of those guys in the locker room are so grateful for him, for the opportunity to play for him, all the effort he put in. Because I mean, shoot, this guy is literally in the building six a.m. to ten p.m. It's ridiculous. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and stop. I'll let you guys go ahead, and I'll chime in where needed. It sounds good, Brian. I think we're gonna roll with you next. Uh, what are kind of your, you know, looking back on it all, um, reactions to the Petrino news? It, it's going to be so hard to not talk for like an hour, so I won't. But, uh, you know, Austin's right. I mean, Petrino has a reputation. We absolutely were told he has a reputation for being a guy who, I mean, football is what he cares about. That's kind of the lens through what, what he did the entire time at U of I. That honestly, didn't matter what topic people talked to us about. They said, look, football is just football and family. You want to know Paul? Nobody cares about football, family, probably family first and football second. And other than that, nothing really matters to the guy. Um, I think one of the things that's that is tough about going over Paul is Paul became representative to a lot of fans of Idaho not being able to turn around. Some of which is not 100% Paul's fault. Some of it absolutely is, but between between like the between the two years with Mason, between the contract that Idaho couldn't do anything about, I think that became part of what animated a lot of online frustration you you'll see towards Paul. And of course, people online are less nice than they are in person anyway, so that's kind of a given. But I mean, I know I appreciate the years he he put in. Uh, there's we'll talk, you know, adjudicate the record, all that stuff. Um, but if you're a, if you're a head coach at the college level, you are putting a ton of time in your family has to be okay with some instability that a lot of people in their typical jobs don't have to deal with. So before we get to, to any sort of critiques, I, I will say, look, you put in a lot of work for the university. I wish it worked better. There'll be things we talk about later in the show for sure that might be more critique, but as far as the time you put in the effort, no one ever doubted Paul as a guy who is absolutely all in trying. Uh, people doubted he, that he was too stubborn at times. And I'll say that no question, but I appreciate the work the dude put in. That's, that's, I guess, what, what I'll close it out there. Everyone knows he worked hard. Everyone knows he cared about the university. Rico's right. He easily could have had a transition point when we did the drop down. He believed in himself. He believed in the university. For that, he deserves to be commended. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it next here. And I think this is going to be a kind of an echo chamber. Like, one, I think Ter Terry said in her press conference about the new coach, like, there's no doubt anybody worked hard. There's no, you know, yeah, the way we broke the story put him in a difficult spot because he had to coach, you know, for a couple of days there um, knowing that everybody knew he was basically a lame duck coach at that point. Uh, Fennessy did not have to deal with that until the day of, and you looked and Paul Petrino was able to rise above that, get a team ready for a game and win the ICCU battle of the domes to close out his season hundredth game in charge of a team, you know, and pick up another win. So like it goes to show that like he's very much outside the distractions, never something that got in the way. He put in more work than, you know, for instance, when Aki was let go, that was one of the complaints with Aki was that he just wasn't working hard anymore. So Paul never quit working hard. I think you see it by the outpouring of a lot of the former players who really don't have a benefit 
of, you know, saying, having to say nice things to him. They don't go in the locker room any day. And you can see the outpouring of former players like Rico. Saw Lloyd Hightower post some stuff. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of former dudes. Obviously, uh, Coffee was posting, like, that still come out and will go to bat for Paul Petrino. Because despite, like, what Rico said, you see him on the sideline. You see how animated he gets. Um, a lot of people don't think he's as much of a player's coach as he is. The players that are in his locker room love him. Uh, so I think you got to take that. And then kind of what I think I was Lloyd and also Austin said it on here. Like my point of view is I'm really excited about the future of Idaho football. I think we're in a really fun opportunity that hopefully we don't get put in too much more frequently uh, unless it's based on success, where we're having to go through a coaching search. So I'm using, you know, looking forward to that. And as somebody who looks forward to that, like all I'll say to the people online that are just like acting like Paul kicked their dog or something and it's personal with him, it's a bad look on the university when we're trying to hire the next guy. And, you know, the old guy is going out for not a scandal, not something. Players love him and people are beating him down. So I'll just say like, you know, we're becoming in an increasingly digital world. And that is something that next coaches are going to be able to see. And if you want us to be in the best place possible to hire a, a guy coming in here, I'm not saying they're going to be turned off by it, but like, just be aware that we're currently a free agent uh, and we don't want to appear to be like the Cleveland Browns or the Jacksonville Jaguars. We want to come off as a strong, you know, organization that has organizational support and does have expectations. Uh, but I just be like, be aware of that. That's something that a new coach is going to be looking at. So I'm very much adamant against dancing on the grave. Uh, I think it is a bad look for us, but, I get that people are excited, uh, and I don't think excitement has to turn into spitefulness. Um, Boat, um, yeah, it, it's been a, it's been a weird, interesting last week. Um, obviously, I've heard a lot of the stuff that Brian and Dallas have been coming up with um, in terms of news the last week before it all broke, and um, I knew it was going to happen when it happened, which is really unfortunate. And I, and like, I actually really tried to, to get these guys to hold off um, at least until the team meeting after practice Thursday. Cause that's when I would had a feeling is probably gonna tell the guys in person, obviously would love to come out Saturday. That was the original plan is news was going to happen Saturday, but it kind of became more apparent that it was going to get out regardless. Um, so that was a pretty tough, tough day on Thursday. It's kind of surreal um, sitting there, but uh yeah, he's gone. It's weird. Um, no one has coached more games for the University of Idaho in its entire history than Paul Petrino. Um, you know, one of three coaches to win a bowl game for us. I, I, I'll kind of get into it later, I guess, you know, after we have some more time. But I don't know when he would have – people were calling for him to be fired years ago. I just don't know when that would have happened. Um, and I'll kind of break down when, why, I guess, later. Because um, it's you know, I'm, institutional things matter. Um, buyouts matter. You know, when's the right time? COVID happened. It was a weird time, right? Like there was a bunch of always something that just kind of kept something kind of going on, on, and on. Um, the stability was a p fantastic. We never had guys get in trouble. Like our, our biggest thing, right? Like our biggest thing of guys getting in trouble in Idaho was guys would maybe go steal some food from Winco, right? Like I think yeah, that like one speaks time. more to uh, it happened years. a few times, but I think, but I think, <laughs> I think that happened. I think that maybe speaks more to the volume of NCAA um, payments and what guys are going to Idaho versus, you know, the structures of NCAA, right? Like that was the worst thing ever happened. Like guys weren't, guys weren't beating up pizza delivery guys like eight miles away, right? Like guys weren't getting in all out fist fights 
um, at frat parties with people like eight miles away. Like we had a good culture. I mean, I know Rico was there all his first four years. Um, he Rico saw the changeover from when he showed up by the time he Austin left December of 16, it was like night and day. Like I even saw 14 to 16, like 14 to 15 was a massive change. Like a lot of guys left the program, the program we were short a day of practice in 2014 because of the APR of guys leaving because they were not, not great guys on the team in 20, 2012, 2013, when we showed up, um, that all changed. Um, Chris, I think you've mentioned like, so all the guys in the NFL that have yeah, played more under, than any other coach. Yeah. You know I mean? It's, 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 it's crazy. Like, um, got a lot of guys become really good dudes. And I know like, like Rico and I are part of a couple different chats with all, all former players. And like, I don't think we're more thankful than just like I've met each other and been a part of the same team. Um, and you know, Petrino was because of that. Um, he put me on scholarship, like that's life changing stuff. Um, spent, you know, two and a half years on scholarship because of him. So yeah, it's weird. Um, and obviously like my love for Idaho has been before Paul Petrino and is, will stay after, Paul Petrino, because it, it hits a little different for me than a lot of guys who play for the University of Idaho. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, I've seen a lot happen with this program before I was a player, and now it's it's on it's on to the next. Unfortunately, fortunately, it didn't work out. I think we all wish it would have worked out because that many we were we, we, we were winning games, right? Like he wanted to win. He wasn't. He was a great guy. I think more former players would say good things about him than. Um, would say bad. So I think if that tells you anything from inside, um, tells you what kind of person he was. Dallas producer Hammer, wrap wrap kind of up your uh, like initial reactions, kind of the the whole thing. I mean, while I am I am grateful for what Paul did when he took over from Aki. I mean the the program was in a pretty tough spot there, uh, and it, it, I, I wouldn't even say that all of it was on Aki. The the transition from the whack falling apart to independent to sunbelt and then obviously paul stepped in as that was starting to happen that's going to be tough for any coach and that that brings back to the point of uh we've heard people saying paul should have been fired years ago and the like both said there's institutional things that are happening the drop down to the fcs is going to buy any coach extra years because you're you're going through unprecedented things that nobody's ever gone through so the, the the i think that's all very important to keep in context but at the at the end of the day it was nine years 34 and 66 like it's it's not a great look uh you have to go back to this to the 50s uh before uh, obviously the tom cable and everything after tom cable has just been sadness for idaho but from the 60s through the 90s patrina would have had the worst coaching record of of any of those guys and so that's that's the i think the the context we have to remember is yes idaho is a really really tough job right now it's hard to get people to come to moscow idaho to come play football obviously it's in a dome which is great but moscow's a little town in the pacific northwest it's hard to recruit there it's hard to like it, it's just it's hard to win it's not a it's not a destination job if if the successor to paul petrino is named and he ends up winning 10 games once or twice that guy's gone like it, it, he's not not going to be a career job here like and that's that's something we have to i think kind of understand it as idaho fans but it, it it just feels like time uh you know i covered this team uh, when Aki was uh, winding down his tenure as a student journalist, then I moved on to TV in Spokane, covered the end of his tenure, the first three years of, of Petrino's, and then uh, kind of retired and, and stepped away. But uh, I, 
I have heard for a long time a lot of things behind the scenes from different players that weren't weren't thrilled and and different parents that weren't thrilled. And so I, I do think there's a, a a middle ground of obviously uh, Rico and Boatman had great things to say. I have plenty of parents and and kids that have transferred out and kids that that are still on the team that aren't aren't happy about it and 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 think that they deserved better. And you know, there's there's such a weird way because there's no way to ever get a 100% read on it. Like none of us have a a relationship with him to the point that we're going to his house every Thanksgiving and and know the ins and outs of how everything went. Like Boatman and Rico obviously know more than us because you guys played for him. But we get different messages from different people. It's just it's a it's such a weird situation where like Chris was saying, he's not being terminated for awful things dealing in the program. It's it's not like this is some disastrous breakup. It's just it was time. The didn't win enough games. And that's I think that that is the the ultimate thing to remember here is you know, some people had great experiences, some people had terrible experiences. It's all just kind of there. And at the end of the day, it's just he didn't win enough games. That's that's it. And also, hey, real quick, Austin's going to go next. He has a timeline, so Austin, feel free to go long because you you've been sitting for a while, man. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't need to go long by any means. I just, you know, I you guys have kind of brought it all up. I don't necessarily disagree with the firing. Um, I mean, we've talked about it. You mentioned it. You got to win. That's that's bottom line. You had nine years. I think we mentioned longest tenured coach, correct? Yep. That being said, you got to win games. And I have no issues with that. And I think Petrino would even say to be like, ah, you know, okay, we didn't get as many wins as you all would have liked. It's understandable. My issue is all the the shots at his character. Was he the perfect coach? No, heck no. Who is? I mean, you find me one coach where he has 100% player approval going, that guy's awesome. Somebody's not going to play. Somebody's not going to like how they run it. And he is, he's very animated. You guys have probably seen scrimmages. You guys have obviously seen, seen the games that I mentioned. You, I mean, it's not going to fit every single player. Of course, you're going to have players transfer. I always hear the one with Jake Luton transferring out. Oh, well, we could have had him. We had Matt. Matt was better for the system as far as he was just a very cerebral player. Jake saw the writing on the wall, and he went and he went the JUCO route. He went to Oregon State. It's paid off dividends for him. Great decision, but I don't think anything changes. I mean, he he came in and played with us. Maybe it wasn't right system wise. Like that's just. You can't do anything about that. And he came and watched a game. So obviously it's not a like resentment towards the university or Paul, like Luton came to a game this fall. It's a tough spot. Everybody wants to play. Everybody wants to play. Shoot. If, I mean, if we're being completely honest, if I wasn't playing, I probably would have looked to transfer because as you mentioned, it gets cold, man. We, we work out as hard as anybody else in the country. And then you mentioned those practices. It's tough. You talk to anybody who's working right now, they're going to tell you work is a breeze after dealing with practices. And that's that's part of Coach Petrino's plan. Again, I if somebody, you know, rips into me, so be it. You know, I'll kind of live with it. And more often than not, I'm going to try and, you know, go back and forth with them. And typically, I'd, I'd use that through my play. Whenever Petrino was on me, play shot through the roof because, no, I don't want you coming at me again. Like, I'm going to get the job done. But not everybody responds that way. So, I mean, just from the coaching standpoint, we we got to get wins. But when you when you deal with the different players, yeah, people are going to be hurt. It totally depends on the person. Some people can take an ass chewing is basically the best way to, to describe it. 
Thankfully, I wasn't on the end of too many because I got the job done. But believe me, Coach P and I had some, you know, back and forth where we are, we're animated. And it just, it depends on the type of person you are. Some people, if they get yelled at, they're going to kind of, you know, hole up, kind of, they don't want to be around it. And then yeah. you look at a lot of people that had success, they'll dish it right back, right back at him. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just tough. It's tough. And that that's my big thing is, you know, we, we if you're happy that he's gone, I have no issue with that. I, I wish the best for the next coach. But seeing all this negative stuff towards him, what kind of coach wants to come into a fan base with no attendance and a bunch of people that are just going to sit there and every little thing, oh, this guy is, uh, you know, I'm not going to say a bunch of words because I, I don't care for it. But um, it's it's just, I mean, what kind of message does that send to the, you know, hopefully the successor who's going to take over and, you know, lead us to those 10 wins. Get us into the FCS playoffs since we dropped down. That's got to be the goal right now. We've yeah. got to get there. We have the facilities. We need somebody that's going to get the recruiting done and send us to that next level. Yep. I, I guess I guess real quick, Chris, before before uh, Rico has to go here. Yeah, I mean, like, like he took a job not to people really wanted wanted this job, right? Like, he took this job in 2013 when we were an independent team. We knew we were going to Sun Belt, but like we had no home. We there was bad internal things with regards to players' grades, APR. Like, I I think you could say that internally, like he left this job better than he found it. Um, and we also we would have killed stability. four win seasons. And also stability wise, right? Like, like stability wise of we know where our conference is at. We know we know where our future lies. You know, it's not like what's going to happen. Like, he left this place better, I think, than he found it. Um, we do have some. We do have talent there. We do have people there to to win some games. I think we've we've seen it. We've seen that we could have won some games, more games this year or last year. Um, I, and we referenced though the the sixty six lot 34 and. 66 if you take out those first two years which i know you, you can't do that but like no one expected us to do anything those first two years he's 32 and 45 um in seven years which like still below 500 but definitely better than what anyone else has done at idaho since chris tore me um yeah so I-, I mean i mean i mean that it's it's i think i think i think we're in a good spot to move on to what's next um i th- i thank him for everything he's done but yeah i think he we're in a good spot compared to when he found it Brian, I Dallas, got a follow question. Guys, I was gonna say, do you guys have any? I got a follow question for Rico before he jumps off, um, and it's because like everyone here involved in the story, and Austin's involved in the story because he played for he played for Paul. Um, I was involved in the story in the sense that we were involved in breaking it. We of course had nothing to do with the actual decision making, but in, like I said earlier, my experience of this online, there were of course some jackasses, no question. Overwhelmingly, the tone of responses to me was positive to us, but also positive to the university saying, Hey, go guys, go get yourself a coach. There were jokes, of course, but as far as like mean stuff or like over the top stuff, I know I saw some, I actually didn't see a ton of it directed at tubs or directed at me personally. That was in that tone. Did was your experience different Austin, or is it more like the, I don't know which is correct. It, is that your experience or did you experience that? No, there, it was that there were some really touchy ones that, just we're not okay and that's what you're responding to but it's not necessarily volume yeah i i mean it's more it's more so just dealing with petrino as far as the school i don't think anybody i mean everybody wants to see the school succeed that's going to be commenting on it it's been the it's been the outroar towards coach petrino oh that guy was an a-hole all this nepotism all these sexual assault cases i will go through each one of those things back and forth with you 
I mean, because those are the big ones. I remember, shoot, Boat remembers it vividly. We had the reporter claiming that Petrino was going to come and fight him. I was out of practice because naturally we don't have a ton of time on the field during practice, so I'd stay late and kick. Petrino got animated, but there was never a period where, you know, blows were going to be exchanged. Really what happened was the director of player ops was like, no, let's go inside. Like, let's go inside because basically Petrino was just going to give him a piece of his mind, which given the the line of questioning wasn't out of <laughs> out of tone but um not surprising but, from knowing Paul either no 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 and he he and it, because he's kind of taking shots at his player basically the whole question is why can't Matt complete a deep ball right now he's like what are you talking about so he's going back giving his mind basically director of player ops is like let's just go inside like this guy clearly doesn't get it and because he put his hand on him and said you know let's go inside he he used that construed it you know as writers are known to you know known to do as oh he had to be restrained he was going to come you know he was going to come and hit me all this stuff and i'm just sitting there laughing that this is you know the way the story got spun that's just one you, of and, I, you and i you and i were both like 20 feet away I yeah that. it we was we were both right there i remember reading it and we were just like this is this is such a joke like that's when we lost kind of respect and you know it's great to, he's he's with the seahawks now he's doing a great job covering them you know happy to see it but the way that story was turned was uh you know it was really unfortunate because again Coach P has this, you know, has this rap of, you know, being very animated and aggressive, all that stuff on the sideline. And it's like, yeah, he does that with his players. Like, there's there's never any physical stuff like that. Like, to sit there and say, oh, it, it, it might have come to blows. It's just such a joke. He's not Jimmy such Lake. No, I had a I'm aware of a, I'm aware of a writer, I'm Austin, that one. Austin, I'm aware of a writer who covered Idaho around that time who had similar response of, like, it was intense. But yeah. what it became described as, yeah. like the physicality part, was uh, let's just call it generous. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember Theo I mean, was, he, he he was, was right. I to that. throw he hands as I probably was that day. Then sorry, boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I was saying I remember that, Brian. I remember Theo Lawson was the Tribune writer at the time, and he came out and said that I never felt like I was going to get physical. But like what Jimmy Lake was just getting criticized for, right? What he did in public, and people were saying he didn't even touch the guy. He barely even touched the guy, right? Like that was. People are going back and forth. I never once saw Paul come close to doing that to a player in private, in practice, anywhere in nine years, right? Like, Jeff, saying, Jimmy, like Jeff Jimmy Jeff really touched him. In, in the Kibbe Dome in 2016 against you guys, his very first game, marched out to midfield and grabbed a player by the face mask to chew him out. Like, in the middle yeah. of a game. Like, we're talking yeah. about, like, it's football. And, like, I'm not saying that's okay or not okay. I'm just saying, like, you know, it, it all depends on circumstance and, you know, whoever's telling the story. But, yeah, like, a lot worse has been done. And, obviously, some coaches have probably done nothing even close to it. But, no, yeah, I don't think it got shrewd. So, close sure. book on that part, too. I think it's fair to say, in terms of, like, intelligently handling a situation, Paul probably could have done it better for himself because of what ended up happening, of course, overall. Mm -hmm. overall. But uh, people on the outside do need to know um, – Football and look, basketball coaches, a lot of sports coaches, their interactions in the moment, especially in games, it's different. Things are time sensitive, intensity, or what looks like, you know, what we call hard coaching stuff that in an office would probably not be okay. It's fine. And actually, a lot of players need that. And behavior like that, you know, that fits under the, the okay definition of hard coaching, people need to relax about seeing some of that in public. I know a lot of it is more likely to happen in the locker room, but. You know, Austin, you've probably experienced hard coaching. You're, you don't feel like you are worse off for it. Uh, people just need to understand competitive athletics is executed differently 
than an office job or most other jobs. And the disciplinary responses, the supervisory responses are different as well. Yeah. Cool. Uh, any other closing takes, Rico? And then we'll kind of move on to, I guess, new coaches and then wrap it all up. But I mean, not a ton. I mean, I think I, I touched up on most of the stuff that I wanted to. I'm, I'm sure you guys will cover some more um, as far as Petrino goes. But I mean, that's the big one. If, if anybody really wants to go out there and, you know, slander his character or whatever, feel free to, you know, message me about it. I got to first take it. Uh, but I I don't want to see – I just don't want to see the guy's name slandered like that. It's That's just the toughest part. Um, but as far as – I mean, I hope that we can get it turned around. As an Idaho alum, as an Idaho fan, I want. I just want to see the kid be unpacked. I mean, yeah. we, we, we only had a couple of games like that during the 2016 season when we were nine and four, I want to see people in that. That makes a big difference towards winning too. Um, but man, there's nothing like that dome when it is packed because everything just stays trapped in there. Yeah. It's so loud. I just, I just hope that we can get, get people in seats showing up to the games, showing support, hopefully, you know, supporting the new regime here. And then man, it's going to be up on, it's going to be up to the players and the coaches to, to start putting some wins on the field again, because it's it's been a rough couple of years. I think we'd all attest. Um, but yeah, I just I want to see it righted. I mean, I, I wish Coach P the best. Uh, I know he was great for me, great for both, great for a lot of guys. Um, and yeah, I just just you know just be thankful. Whether he's I mean whether you're happy he's gone or not, just say thanks. It was great that you know he came in, gave nine years on the Palouse of all places. Um, but yeah, that, that's all I got. Appreciate you guys letting me on today. Yep. Rico, thank you for joining us. Make sure you follow him on Twitter. And like you said, you got questions, reach out. Um, cool. So my kind thanks, of takeaway. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Austin. See you guys. Thanks, Rico. So my kind of takeaway on all this is like, I mean, my last little bit to takeaway is I think it's important, once again, to shift this kind of towards the future. And I think Terry Golick has received a lot of like negative criticism and the fact that like she didn't fire Paul, but what like earlier, obviously it's done now. But one, she inherited that contract. That is not a her signing. And the money had to be raised for it to be a thing. So I know a lot of people are like, oh, they should have fired him sooner. They should have fired him years ago. It's like, well, at the end of the day, maybe it was this losing recently. I mean, obviously, Brian probably knows more because he did some of the legwork on this. So feel free to touch on it after. But like the money was never there to buy him out of this contract, which she inherited. It is done now. So I think we need to give that little bit of credit where it's due now. My biggest critique of the whole situation is I want, I would love to know when they knew they were not going to retain him. Uh, I doubt it was the loss to Montana State, but if it was, then fine. If it was earlier, I would have preferred we make this move like an Ed Ogeron situation, make it earlier, let him coach out the season. Because Boat and I have talked a lot about this offline. I don't think the college football world is up to date yet on how important early signing day is for recruiting, as it is basically the main recruiting day now. Look and at Texas new- Tech. That's, that's yeah. a great example. And this like, new coach now example. has less than a month to put together a recruiting class. If they were hired today, less than one month to get their first class together. It's not like the old days where it was February 5th and you had time when these things happened in December. This is, we have weeks to put together a recruiting class. And that's where I would have preferred the movement made earlier. If the decision had been made earlier um, to move on from Paul, that would be my critique of the athletic department, but I don't have any insight if that's true. Maybe their decision was Montana state or the money was raised after that game. Um, so Brian, I guess any takes on what I said or anything you'd like to kind of add to um, 
So I'm going to be brief about the fundraising part because it's actually a little bit convoluted to, to do in less, in less than like 15 minutes because the athletic department certainly didn't have this official like, hey, go away, Paul Petrino fund. It has to be pretty clear uh, but from the athletics department that they're ready to move on and then have separate organizations at the same time. Cause the donors, of course, like let's pretend that, and again, this, all our sources are anonymous. I'm not saying this happened. This is hypothetical. If donors happened to just raise money on their own and give it, well, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean that the university is ready to move on just because the money exists. It has to be a, honestly, a essentially united front of the universities ready to move on. And, uh, in one organizational way or the other, um, the message gets out to donors to raise money for it, which makes it a little bit complicated. Uh, but that's part of why it's difficult in that the admin needs to be sure this is what they want to do before any of that goes out. Because I mean, there's nothing that could tank a university's reputation with potential new hires better than to hear that, uh, you know, they're looking at raising money to fire a guy when they don't even know if they want to fire him. Uh, so that part is pretty tough to go over other than to say, there clearly had to be an understanding at some level. I'm not commenting about when or where because our sources are anonymous. That means anonymous. Uh, that that's the fundraising part. The thing I want to I want to bring up. I don't I don't know anyone, or I know like two people maybe who think this was the wrong move to get rid of Paul. the re, The results absolutely speak for for themselves. I mean, I I did a lot of research, maybe a deep dive, you might say, on his actual record throughout this time. Paul has five total wins in his career against same against teams from the same classification with a winning record. That means you know FBS versus FBS or FCS versus FCS. Five in nine years. I don't know what's more, what could possibly be more damning than that. If you want to count Sac State in 2017, that number jumps up to six. But Sac State is FCS, we're FBS, so that's you know different different classification. Big Sky record speaks for itself. 11 and 17 in four years, two and 13 on the road. Just, just not good enough. Just not close to good enough. And the other one to me, reputationally, Idaho was taking a hit by having Paul. The longer Paul stayed on, the worse it was for the university's reputation. We were a joke amongst a lot of media figures, a lot of fan bases, because like, hey, of course you have Paul. This is what you're going to get when they saw him in the big sky. We have fan bases who don't even take us seriously yet as rivals because what they feel is, hey, we'd love to be, for Idaho to be good. It's more of like condescending pat on the back that they hope things turn around. That could change now, but I don't know anyone, Chris, maybe you guys do. I don't know anyone in the world who would possibly say it wasn't time to go with the Mason two years that we talked about with him, with how the record went after the drop down with the attendance, just going to a crater, which is not all Paul, but not winning was a huge deal. We dropped down for attendance. This was, this was unequivocally to me, the right move had to happen. I'm excited for, for us to move on. Head, head coaches are judged on wins and losses. And at the end of the day, I mean, Rico said it. I don't even think Paul would tell you that he won enough. I'm pretty sure Paul, like I said, we obviously I don't talk to Paul. I'm pretty sure he would even not find a way to justify him not being retained as coach. I think he understands. At the end of the day, though he did have a tough ship through multiple changes or whatever, we have been in the big sky now for four years. It's the most ability we've had while he was a coach. We will have had four assuming Trey goes to the draft uh, four guys that were in the NFL on the team at the same time and couldn't eclipse five wins, you know, like at the end of the day, his job is a hundred percent predicated on wins and losses. And he lost more than he won. Oatman. Yeah. I kind of, um, 
kind of prefaced it earlier when I was talking at first about kind of situations of, you know, people going for, oh, Paul should have been fired a long time ago. Okay. I'm kind of break down why maybe he wasn't. Um, so year four, year three, we went four and eight with a pretty close time to getting six and six. Um, some people say that was a disappointing year. Actually, honestly, we did not deserve to go to a bowl game that year. Like we were not going to, we were not good enough yet. We were so short and injured. Um, I think for those games versus Mexico State, we took like four linebackers to Las Cruces that night. People say that was that was the year we should have gone to a bowl game. Probably not. We just weren't there yet. 17, I would say, is probably the most disappointing year um, of the, we've had because we didn't lose a conference game by more than six points. We blew a massive lead to Western Michigan. Like We should have gone to a bowl game. We should have been playing Josh Allen and Wyoming in the potato bowl. So you kind of think about, okay, people said when Paul should have been fired a long time ago, when, what was the opportunity to, you're not going to fire him after 17. Okay. Because we, we had just a year off a of bowl game and we were really close to going to one more, more games. Um, we were then dropping down 18. You're not going to fire him after a first year of dropping down because I was only two years removed from a bowl game. Right. It's the whole, like when, when's a good time, especially if you have money to do it, we didn't really have money to do it. You're not going to fire him after 18. 19, we went five and seven, which is our best year yet in FCS. With we actually probably should have gone seven and four, should have beaten Wyoming, we should have beaten Northern Colorado, maybe played Portland State better. That was close to being a playoff level team that we almost had somehow. Okay, so 19, maybe like you can start talking about it more seriously. Well, then what happened in 2020? COVID. I mean, he went and we, we changed to a spring season, he wasn't getting fired after the spring. Um, coming into the fall like that was not going to happen so honestly in my real opinion like this is the first year you could actually probably let paul go um let paul go within reason of a situations in terms of record and years played and then also within within reason of buyout people are going to criticize oh well terry got left with a bad like chris said terry got left with a bad buyout um by spear Okay, like that also is a it's a it's a double edged sword because at our level you don't want you make sure you want to protect yourself. Um, you have a great season. We saw success heading the right way. You thought like, okay, this is the guy. We got a good we got a good guy finally. You want to make sure you protect yourself financially so that if he does leave, we do get some good money out of it. And there was actually talks for him. I remember he was in the running for Western Kentucky, Nevada. He Bobby offered him to be the OC at Louisville. Right. This is all within like right around that bowl game time. So we upped his contract to make sure we protected our own self. It's a double-edged sword because if you start failing, you know, you owe them all out of money yourself. So you're pretty much betting the same. This is the guy we want and we need for a while. You know, if it doesn't work out, we run into a situation like we are now where it took a long time to get there. Um, so that's kind of part two of this. Part three, institutionally, we were a mess the better part of half a decade. I mean, probably even, we'll probably say even a decade, honestly. Um, you know, people have their, a different opinion on Dr. Spear, um, you know, AD for a very long time through like three or four presidents. So by the time he left, he did wield a lot of power and influence in the athletic department that Terry doesn't have right now, um, because of just longevity. Um, we went through a president situation where our former president didn't really care a whole lot for athletics, didn't really care a whole lot for our success. You know, it wasn't like, it wasn't number, like it wasn't part of his uh, platform. It wasn't part of his, I, I care about this enough to really give a shit. If it happened, great. If it didn't, who cares? Um, we went through a situation where the AD was let go. 
The president's contract was not renewed. We were finally, and then COVID happened, right? Like, I mean, we were finally, and we had a massive institutional deficit. We were finally in a spot institutionally where we've had an awesome president for the last few years. We have our institutions thriving. We're on the path to becoming an R1, which is massive institutionally. We have an AD who's been around for a while. Like, this is the best the University of Idaho has been, guys, in a very long time, top to bottom. So no one was going to be able to fire Paul because no, who was his boss? Like we, he didn't like he had an interim, he had an AD who was at, on the ropes with his president, who was just trying to fight state spirits. They were fighting each other constantly, guys. Like it was, it was bloody inside for a while between those two. So no one's really looking at Paul. We have an interim AD. He goes away. Terry comes along. No one's going to fire someone in their first year, especially at Idaho. We're not like Florida or USC, right? Who fires a coach in a second. Um, and then COVID happens. I, I know I keep saying COVID like that is massive because it changed our whole season. We started playing in the spring. So there was never really a good time to let Paul go within reason until this year. So I, that's why it finally happened. Like, I know it's a really long winded thing. Um, I know I've been talking for a minute. That's to kind of provide some insight on why it did happen finally and why it hasn't happened till now. People, I mean, I think that's the things this should happen a long time ago. This should happen a long time ago. Please, please, within reason, tell me when it should have happened and who was giving the money to do so. And I would, I will say, yes, you're right. But until then, like, no, this, it didn't, it wasn't able to happen until now. This is the first time it did have to happen. Oh, Chris with the muted. Oh, yeah. Read my lips. Producer Dammer. <laughs> so I, I do want to point out the the wins and losses is is the ultimate thing. Uh, there are 28 wins uh, against same level opponents. The combined record of those winning teams: 104 wins and 218 losses. So there's not a whole lot of quality wins to begin with. Obviously, Brian mentioned that there were only five teams that won more games than they lost. So that's, I think that's important to keep in mind that there were a lot of really bad teams that that Paul beat up on, and that's again 104 wins to 218 losses is a pretty substantial amount of losses more. One thing that is is something that I have been thinking about in the background here this whole time. Boatman, you mentioned, uh, Paul, you think Paul left this program in a better place than he found it. And while I would agree with that, I do think there's things to discuss about that. Uh, obviously, the academic issues that happened at the end of Aki's tenure are gone. Uh, I think we'd all argue there's much more talent that's going to be coming back in 2022 than there was in 2013. I feel like the the actual football team itself is in a better state. Uh, and a lot of this is not necessarily on Paul, but losing losing matters. When Aki was fired, uh, he there were two games. There was the New Mexico State game at home. He was fired on the road against Louisiana Tech. And then the next game was San Jose State at home. The attendance for those two games, 14,700 and 14,400. So... They turned over Rob Akey in the middle of a absolute terrible season and people were still showing up. People were still filling the dome. We had a couple thousand in attendance for games this year. And I, that's the one thing that I question. Is this program truly in a better place than it was? Uh, you Take out the things like FBS and FCS. Obviously, that's, that's, that's a slightly different that's argument to make. Big one, see, that, see, I guess, that's 100% I'll answer, the argument. I'll answer, I'll answer your question here in a second, Dallas. So continue on. Then I'll kind of answer your question because I do have some some thoughts on that. Oh, the horse is back and out. And so that's oh. 
that's sort of my question is mm. obviously you said 2019 there's the argument that's where i would have made the argument i think two years of the dead horse i think that killed a lot of the fan base obviously losing has only made things worse and it's tough to say it's the fbs or fcs because we don't know if we were winning in the fcs mm-hmm. would people be showing up i like um, to think yes i think others would argue no it, it's so tough to to get yeah, a full grasp it's, of where it's like tough, you said, it's even tough. when we were losing in the fbs we drew because like, um, San Jose State objectively is a better team to watch, no matter how piss poor they were that year, than Southern Utah. Like, um, and we we've seen it. I, it's just, I mean, that's you. You hear it from people all the time that they just won't go to watch us play Northern Arizona. Like, it's just a problem that, yeah, Paul is part of it because especially when you're losing, they're definitely not coming out. But like, a hundred percent. I'm not going to lie. I did not go to a lot of the last games because I did not. And I objectively like the FCS and the big sky. I do not care about those opponents. And I, I'm saying that as somebody who semi covers the team and is a fan of this division of level of football, but if you're trying to convince me to drive five and a half hours to watch Southern Utah, like we could even sell out against Montana and that should be a game, whether we're losing or winning, it sells out because whether we were winning or losing and that was Boise state, that place was sold out. So like I get well, that there's my- definitely your 100% perspective too of like there's that mix of like well yeah obviously some of it is losing versus winning but I think the FCS thing is going to be a hard thing for this entire program but you know that's nobody's fault but freaking Stavens. Right. So I guess I guess real quick I mean so yeah it does play a part uh, I said you know left a team better internally like I'm talking about APR better talent mm-hmm. we don't have a bunch of knuckleheads on the team who are always getting in trouble right like that's what I'm saying like he left exactly. the program better internally stuff you don't see every day that that we do see right um the FBS FCS does play a part of it right winning cures a lot of things but also Dallas I think it's a uh, I actually think that's it's a it's a nationwide problem tennis is down everywhere no matter who's how good you are that's just the age we live in now like you know, when we were playing those games for San Jose State, you couldn't go on to your ESPN app, watch the game from your phone. Like that didn't exist. Now, now you can. So, so I mean, we're seeing everywhere here at West Virginia, right? Like this is a place that that naturally, um, you know, has always had a lot of attendance. It's the whole state loves this place. But you know, we're playing Texas. We're we're struggling to pass forty five thousand fans in a sixty thousand seat stadium. Sure, we're not winning, but like as winning as much as we can. But because people can sit on their home on their couch and watch ESPN too, Boise State's attendance has decreased. Think about like that's the people we measure that against a lot of things. Boise State's expanded their stadium; they've been winning for a long time. This is their worst year in a long time, and they're going to still win like eight games, right? Yeah. Um, but Montana even when State they were, is bragging about being the first season they've sold out every game, even when they're winning ten, even when Boise was winning ten games a year, right? Constantly, you know, they can't sell out all their games. That's just because. Now people, I think that has to play more part of it is it's the age we live in now. Um, There's more content out there than everywhere. There's more things to occupy your time. Winning sure does help, right? Like winning sure does bring a lot of things. I think has to play into a, we haven't been winning, right? So you contribute that to coaching, B the FBS FCS, and then C just the natural progression of fan attendance, um, which just has been going down every sport everywhere, even pro level. Um, so I think that's maybe like answer part of your question in a really tiered way, but yeah, it does play a part to it. That's for sure. Let me say a different Dallas's point in a different way. Uh, Cause I, I agree with you unequivocally that, uh, Alex, I always say that cause you two are right next to each other on the screen, but, um, unequivocally better talent unequivocally, Paul gave us stability. Now the stability was 
being bad, but not preposterously bad. The stability was having talent, but always, always underachieving. What I think Dallas means in a different way is the university, when we dropped down, part of the gamble was that Paul was the right guy, and we that was a gamble we absolutely lost. For that, at the FCS level, he clearly was not good enough. Look at any Big Sky hires recently. Troy Taylor is having his second consecutive Big Sky championship, first outright. Sac State won zero games the year before he was there. Every single recent Big Sky coach who's been hired, minus Ed McCaffrey and Bo Baldwin, they're also in year one. Well, year one and a half for Baldwin. Then most of the big, most FCS coaches who've been hired who have success in the Big Sky, it doesn't take forever. It happens very close to within one year. You start to see a meaningful turnaround. Paul never did that in the Big Sky. In fact, it was the opposite, which is a point. I, I just have to talk about this. I've talked about it in private forever. My takeaway is going to be 2016 is a dividing line to understanding how a lot of fans understand Paul. 2016 was unequivocally a good season for Idaho. That win against Colorado State was a good win for our, for our program. A lot of people thought that was a launching point to potential upward trajectory or at least a trajectory of better stability at around or just above 500. My takeaway, and this is talking about the coaches only, not about the players who I know 2016 is a big deal about how well they came together and student leadership was a huge deal for that team. 2016 was buttressed off the, the weakest schedule we could possibly imagine. Idaho did not have Idaho had did not have a single regular season win against a team over 500, and we had four regular season wins against bad teams by one score. A bad Montana State team we beat tw- we beat 20 to 17. A bad UNLV team we beat 33 to 33 to 30. A bad Louisiana Monroe team we beat 34 to 31. A South Alabama team that had an okay looking record, but they also had two FCS wins to buttress that. We beat 38 31. If that that if I read you any of those schedules in the Big Sky, like Sac State this year, guys, and said, "Hey, we give someone a really easy schedule, but then next year it's much more difficult," you should expect regression. That's absolutely what we got, which is why, to me, I was ready to move on from Paul much earlier than a lot of people, because I just didn't think anything was built that we should understand sustained. It was better, but 2016 doesn't have a schedule that easy. We certainly don't finish with nine wins in my mind based off how we did against any team above 500 that year. And I mean, to closing point, Colorado state was Paul's first ever win against a team over 500 that took four, four, the last game of his fourth season. We certainly didn't change course after that of the type of teams we beat. I, I will say, um, we always had a really propens- big propensity to play every team close. We played down to levels of competition constantly, right? Like, like even if we were better than teams, we'd, we could never blow anyone out. Like New Mexico State game there in 2016, like that's like, like one of the only times like I can recall that we ever did. Um, we won a lot of close games this year. 2017, we just lost those close games. Like I still think we were a really good team in 2017. Like we just couldn't figure out how to win those close games. I think maybe because we were lacking a little bit of like people like I, we, 20 um, were maybe like and so influential in this team and like propelling this team to win games in 2016 that we just missed in 2017. Um, well, and Matt like, went down. yeah, I mean, if Matt doesn't get hurt versus Troy, I think we beat Troy, and I think even if we don't beat Troy, we win our, we win our last three games, um, and we go to a bowl game, right? Yeah. Um, but I know but everyone got kind of got to recruit a backup, I mean, right? And job. I think that's that's where I think people a lot of people got lost with Paul, um, was what happened after that year. And it lost a lot of people, you know, 
inside sometimes too. Like, well, I th- so I, th- I think well, I think that those last three games going into and then going into 2018 was it? It was a tough time. Like that was like that that was tough. Like that was that was a really tough time. Like it it hurt because in 2017 we knew we were good still. Like we knew we were still good enough um, to go to a bowl game that year. We just couldn't get it done. And I just think I, I've talked about it a lot. Like 2018, we just we just uh, not a lot of guys wanted to play. We weren't prepared well enough to for the level of change of like how how play was different, right? Like Sun Belt play to Big Sky play is so vastly different. Um, and Paul's style of coaching fit the Sun Belt pretty well, relatively. Like how you know what we were familiar with, and we just we just weren't ready to go. Um, for 2018 whatsoever, like, you know, maybe even recruit wise, um, just level like our seniors. I think we were just like, felt we got kicked in the teeth um, because it was like, what are we doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like I've said this before. Like, it's like, what are we doing? Like, like we, we just went to a bowl game two years ago. We still a lot of guys in this team. Like we went to a bowl game two years ago, won it the year before we still felt like we were good enough to go to a bowl game and, and win it. And we were really close. We were a mat injury away from doing so pretty much. And now we're playing, um, you know, on the road and in, in Davis, California, or playing on the road and in, in Pocatello, right? It just it didn't it felt it felt weird. Um, and not to like crap on the big sky, and make an excuse. I'm just saying, like that's like that is the that was the mood of the team. It was just it was not a good time. Um, like some, some of us joke still like twenty. We're Sun Belt players, even though like I played my last in Big Sky. It's like Sun Belt's our conference. Like that was that was our league. We love the Sun Belt. Like that's who we still identify with. And so it's like really, it was a really weird time. I, I don't want to make an excuse, but yeah, I, I mean, it was just, it was so weird, um, but we could have been better at that and we weren't. And like we talked about results-based business, he's done, he, he's moved on. And I think, you know, so it's, it's on to the next one, which we're, uh, we're at basically the hour mark, uh, Brian Dallas. I know I don't have any more kind of closing points, but yeah. if you guys have any, you want to get them out and then. Uh, whoever is able or wants to stay, I would love to start talking about the next coach because nothing gets me more giddy than a schoolgirl than coaching searches. Chris, and conference I'm, realignment. I'm going through two <laughs> coaching searches, coaching searches right now. Actually, three. I'm going through three coaching searches. Three. Is you're Jeff Choke in all of them? You're a lucky man. Well, I don't know how Jeff Choke can coach soccer, but um, hey, oh, yeah. Ted Lasso can do Remember? it. Remember? Remember like two weeks ago where you're like, oh no, he's definitely staying in. And we're like, there's no way you think one went over Tottenham justifies yes. this guy staying. By the way, I, dude, I apologize. I yanked it away from Dallas. Dallas, you, you did sit on the show for a lot of the Paul talk and you are one of the people like me who this was learning. Paul was gone. That was a good day for you. Any, any closing points you have? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I just, I hope that, the point has been made that there are plenty of players that really appreciated Paul and the way he coached them. Uh, like Rico was saying, Paul was a hard ass. Good, good to get an ass chewing out of him. Uh, and it would work for some guys. I don't think it works for others. Uh, and it, I think to me, that is the ultimate failing of a coach. If you cannot figure out how to connect to as many players as you can, that I think is a problem. Uh, and the amount of people that have reached out to us about how excited they are that he's gone, uh, both just fans and then also the the players, former players that we've spoken with, current players and their families that have spoken to us. I feel like there is there is a middle ground here of some guys really appreciated Paul, other guys hated him. And I don't think that 
either opinion invalidates the other. I just think it's something we have to acknowledge of, look, at the end of the day, it was the results. Some people loved him. Some people hated him. At the end of the day, it's it's time to move on. It's time to start a new era and hopefully get back to winning some goddamn football games. I mean, it's fair to say, like, Dallas, and I'm fine, close book on this. I did, Paul was certainly not a, a close to universally beloved coach by the fan base. Of course, players are different. They have a different relationship, of course. But we, we haven't had this outpouring of people who are devastated. Paul's gone. It's overwhelmingly people happy for us and happy for the university to change over because they knew he was he's look, the jury's in. How many uh, we just got correct the record? Rico said three, four game, four winning seasons. That's close with the conclusion of this season. It's four, four seasons with four wins. The, the jury's in. If you're willing to throw away the first two years, which I am, look at the rest. It's four wins with a blip of the one of the bull season, but that's it. We've had and the spring season equates to essentially a four-win season as well. That's who he is. That's the thing he could build the big sky. It's just not good enough. And we to be fair, average, at, when, average, I was, right when I was going to school, average. I would have killed to win four games because we right. constantly won one game. So, like, I, I do think it's kind of the benefit of, thank God, he at least got us to win more than one game every year. But 100%, winning four, when you start tasting it, starts to become pretty wearisome as one does too. So that's why I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to just wait for the New Mexico State or Utah State game every year to feel like this is our one shot to get a win. But then, you know, he gave me a taste of four wins and he gave me a taste of nine. I'm sorry. When you gave me a taste of nine and then gave me four wins every year, I kind of I, I really wanted you to get me back to that nine and not keep me at four. So like we talked about earlier, with being in a better spot, whatever, like, hell yeah, I'm glad we're not just winning one game. But let's find the coach that's going to take us from four back to nine and ten. Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned earlier, right? He's the best coach we've had percentage wise since Chris Tormey. Like everyone else is, <laughs> which isn't saying a whole lot. It's not um, saying anything. It's bad. But but <laughs> this uh, millennium, it's been the it's been the best results we've had, unfortunately. But I think uh, with our expectation of dropping down and, and uh, moving on, you know, um, our expectations changed from hey, we like FBS, we would kill for. You know, to be stable four wins with an occasional six or seven win season, right? Now the expectation is, is hey, we need to go above five hundred every year. Like the expectation has moved up from here to here. We we need to be pushing the playoffs every year. That's our expectation now. Um, we gave four years of that at FCS. We haven't come close to that yet. I guess twenty nineteen is say the closest we got to to that um, hitting those marks, and it still didn't happen. We still fell short. So, you know, it's next. it's it's on it's on to the next. You know, Idaho football has existed for well over a hundred years. It's going to exist for a longer time. Um, this was one chapter of it. And now, like we said, it's coaching search time, guys. 